Welcome to Conversations on Life, Work, and Love, hosted by coaches Bonnie Blackstone and Ramey Gibbs. Our focus is to give voices to Gen X women and help them achieve a well-lived life. Good afternoon, Ramey. How are you? Good afternoon, Miss Bonnie. I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm excited for podcast number five. Is that where we're at? Number five. All right. We're doing our thing. We're making it happen. We've got our second guest. Yes. Uh, Yes. Let me introduce her. Um, I get to introduce her because um, not only do I know her professionally, but I have the privilege of also knowing her personally for, gosh, more than 50 years. So... Oh, that's, how about aging yourself there? Uh, yeah. Well, I guess I could say collectively it makes us each 25. How about that? Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Give or take. All right. So today we're interviewing Michelle Gerbosi. Um, Michelle's a licensed social worker and owner of um, Lighthouse Counseling. She's an experienced therapist skilled in crisis intervention, individual and family therapy. She specializes in PTSD, dissociative disorders, narcissistic abuse, eating disorders, and suicidal and self-harm behaviors. And like our guest Sally last week, um, Michelle has never been afraid to make changes in her career or pivot away from her original degree. She's worn many hats over the years, including Army veteran, teacher, nurse, and now therapist, proving it's never too late to pursue a new path. And like I said, on a personal note, I've known this woman nearly my entire life. She's been my constant source of support and encouragement, infectious laughter, and a good butt kicking whenever I've needed it. We've been through a lot together, and I'm very proud to call her my best friend, and I'm really excited to learn more about um, our topic today, which is uh, what is a narcissist and what is narcissistic abuse for. So with that, welcome, Michelle. Let's get started. Thank you. Thank you for that heartfelt and loving introduction. You are welcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So, Michelle, um, you got a lot of letters behind your name. Who are you professionally? What exactly do those letters stand for? Well, uh, Bachelor of Arts stands for just had to get a degree to get out of college uh, by the age of 23, which was when mom and dad said you're done. Mm -hmm. So um, (laughs) that's that is actually my first degree in education. And with that degree, I promptly joined the Army leaving both of my parents stunned and open-mouthed at at college graduation. That is where I met my husband, and I spent 12 years uh, serving in a uniform in the intelligence field and uh, loved every minute of that. The ADN is an associate degree nursing, which enabled me to function as a registered nurse. And I started off with hospital nursing and then moved into uh, emergency nursing, which is where I became interested in trauma, uh, because there's a lot of it and Mm -hmm. a lot of it is interpersonal. And I specialized in forensic nursing after a few years and became a sexual assault nurse examiner. And in, in showing up in the worst moment of someone's life, or the life of their child, 
I, I felt a real calling to do more. I just didn't know how. Um, mm-hmm. So at some point in my life, I examined, you know, would a master's degree in nursing allow this or, or one in a counseling field? And I settled on uh, social work because that enables you to sit for a second exam and become a licensed clinician capable of having a private practice and treating the myriad after effects of traumatic events. Okay. Yeah, that was my next question. What led you to counseling? But it sounds like you answered that for us. Um, the, Uh-oh. The, yeah. <laughs> totally threw me off track. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds like that was your your next step in in your, your own personal calling. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about you personally. Well, I am a uh, mother, a wife of, I, I believe, 31 years in, in a couple of weeks. I could be <laughs> off by a year. <laughs> I know how that is. <laughs> I recently, at a very old age, started taking ballroom dance lessons. Um, am loving it. It's awesome. It is better and cheaper than therapy, uh, which I'm also not opposed to, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the thing about me is that I feel like I'm kind of evolving and surprising myself all the time. And just when I think I know me, something surprises me that, that I didn't think was in there. Hmm. What do you think attributes to that? Curiosity, maybe, mm-hmm. and um, willingness to 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 be okay with failing. Yeah, because when when you try something new, there's always the chance that somebody's going to say, "Ah, uh oh, you really don't belong in this club." Mm-hmm. And I think I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, what I used to not be okay with, I now can can say, oopsie daisy, that didn't work out. Yeah, I love that. Um, I know that, and, and Ramey, you probably can attest to this too. I think the older we get, we start to let go of that um, need to fit in, the, yeah. the need to please. You let your guard down a little bit, and it, it does make the curiosity and the um, courage to look foolish makes it a lot easier. It doesn't matter as much. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, I know personally I'm doing things I never would have done as a kid just out of that fear of. Not fitting in. Yeah. Not fitting in. <laughs> drawing attention to myself, you know, as we've talked about before. Um, yeah. So what were you like as a little kid? I mean, I know, but tell our audience. <laughs> well, oddly different than I am today. My parents tell me that I would cling to them and not approach other children on the playground. They were constantly saying, why don't you go swing? Those kids look like they're your age. Um, And I would say, I can't. And my mom would say, why? Because they don't like me. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) 
what what that little girl version of me would be very surprised to learn is that I actually am quite likable. Everywhere I go, yeah. I find someone to strike up a conversation with and uh, usually find myself getting invited to something. And so, <laughs> I, you know, I, I used to be just terrified of existing and now I just love to have a microphone in my hand for some mm-hmm. reason. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've witnessed that about you. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think the little girl was afraid of? Probably the pain and the power that others have when, when they reject. Because when you present yourself to another person and they say, "Mm, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. If you assign a lot of power to that, that is absolutely devastating, and uh, it's something that I work a lot with with clients around um, who are using avoidance and isolation to protect themselves from ever being harmed in a relationship again. But isolation and avoidance of relationship kills people. It it absolutely does because our brains are designed for connection. And when they don't get that, they're not functioning very well as brains. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of ties into that whole, we were born to be part of a tribe and that doesn't really exist anymore. That concept, right? Yeah. 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 Which you know brings about the um, subject for a whole another day on the pandemic isolation and the aftermath of that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but um, I think it's it's evident what we've all gone through and where we are today, and that importance yeah. of connection and community. Exactly. Yeah that that is definitely a another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we will get on that. <laughs> Yeah. So, Michelle, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because Bonnie talks about you quite often in our conversations. And I'm like, who is this Michelle? So (laughs) it's great to have you here. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, our focus today is really to try to get a good understanding of narcissism as it it comes up in our clientele. You know, it's women over 40. And so this does happen, as you know, a lot of women end up going through divorces and find themselves just as you were kind of mentioning and that, you know, trying to get out of a relationship, but now I'm out of it. And now I'm afraid to get into another one because I don't want to end up with the same sort of situation. So we really want to talk about, let's start with what is a narcissist? How would you define it? Well, luckily I do not have to define it because it is in the diagnostic and statistical manual of uh, mental health disorders. And so it is defined for me. Um, I believe that the term is being overused, Mm -hmm. um, but also that the disorder itself is on the rise. Um, The last study that I have, I think, was done in 2008 or 2010. The National Institute of Mental Health said about 6% of the population 
probably meets criteria for the diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder, which is one of the cluster B personality disorders. Um, and there are two other clusters, A and uh, C. So the reason I think DSM puts these in a cluster is because there's actually a lot of, of uh, intermingling of symptoms. In fact, this same study uh, said that about, I want to say about 42% of the people who meet criteria for narcissistic personality disorder will also meet some or all of the diagnostic criteria for antisocial personality disorder, which makes them uh, pretty dangerous. Yeah. And there's also a lot of um, intermingling with the symptoms, narcissism and borderline personality disorder, which is why they're organized in a, in a cluster the way that they are. But there are nine official uh, diagnostic criteria for um, narcissistic personality disorder, which I'll just say NPD or narcissism going forward. And they are uh, having an inflated sense of self-importance and entitlement, the, the needing of constant praise and admiration, expecting special treatment due to perceived superiority. And those things are often in the absence of the fourth criteria, which is achievements and talents. So exaggerating of achievements and talents. So this entitlement, need for praise and superiority and the and the the um the demand for special treatment is often there regardless of whether this person actually does have any achievements. Reacting very negatively to criticism. Um none of us love criticism, but most of us have the ability to receive it, sit with it, sort through it, and and take in the kernel of truth to it and to offer up repair. And a narcissist is completely unable to get any kind of feedback that uh, provides them with shame because they are not shame resilient at all. And they cannot tolerate the feeling. It has got to be packaged up and put on to someone else. Um, another criteria is being uh, preoccupied with fantasies of power and success, um, beauty, um, because women can also be narcissists. And then here's where it gets um, a little darker. Uh, that the willingness to take advantage of others. When mm -hmm. other people are seen as resources instead of people with their own wants and, and needs and um, uh, ways to, to connect with them, they see them as either emotional or sexual or financial resources. 
And so there is something broken there with the ability to offer up and also receive authentic connection. People ask me all the time, can narcissists love? Um, Not in the way that someone who doesn't meet criteria for narcissistic personality loves. Because there's a willingness to meet their needs at the expense of another person. Mm -hmm. Um, Further criteria are arrogance and um, having an inability or an unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of other people. Now, the the main hallmark to a personality disorder, any of the, the, uh, I believe there are 12 in the three clusters, um, perhaps 10, it is complete and total lack of insight into the fact that you have these behaviors. So mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, it only is going to do you good to recognize traits of a narcissist if you do something about it to take care of yourself. It will never do you any good to tell the narcissist that they are a narcissist. Interesting. Okay. Never. Yeah. That was a lot. Uh, did any questions come up as as I was uh, saying? Yeah. So a couple things for me on this. It, so growing up, I think the term narcissist to me meant someone who was overly preoccupied with their looks. Um, but it's much more than that, right? Obviously, or, or is that kind of just a, a simple version of the word? Or do they yeah. mean different things? I mean, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because someone can be preoccupied with their looks because they are insecure, because they have a, a a beautiful mother that's always saying, you know, you could be prettier if you blank, or they have a daddy that's, you know, pinching their little fat tummy and saying, you know, looks like you're putting on a few pounds. Sure. But that does not mean that that person lacks empathy any of the other pieces of it. Yeah, absolutely. Is this, do you feel like this is a a newer diagnosis or has it been on the books of DSM for a really long time? Uh, It's been with us forever. Forever? And and the reason that we do not, and this is using an animal term, breed it out of ourselves in society is because, um, Narcissists are actually needed. Um, If you've got to uh, do things like, well, there's there's a lot of hard stuff out there, like uh, putting uniforms on a bunch of people and going off to war so that we don't end up with people taking our stuff and making us speak their language and abide by their culture, customs, and rules. Well, you're going to need leaders that are uh, a little bit more focused on goals than they are about making other people feel good. Interesting. Sure. So we often have leadership roles, CEOs and military yeah. leadership so, and okay, generals. Yeah. <laughs> there are just places 
where a little bit of Machiavellian um, personality style has actually been useful. And sure. so when, when something doesn't work, then it doesn't end up in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. It, it, it goes away. So as you, you use the term um, breeding, so it would be eliminated if everyone... It, if it didn't work and we didn't need yeah. it, and it, then yeah, mm -hmm. it, it eventually would have gone away. But you can look back through history and I'm, I'm a real fan of, of history. Um, we have a long list of sociopaths who probably have, uh, statues dedicated to them in right. sure. other countries. Uh, yeah, Interesting. That's, that's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So, okay. So they have their place in the world, obviously, and you were saying they could be bred out. So in that same token, can someone be treated that's a narcissist? Can they change? <laughs> uh, not every therapist out there would agree with, with me on this. There are some people who feel like they can work with a willing narcissist to help them to have emotional empathy as well as the cognitive empathy that they have. So in other words, they can feel the harm that they might do to another person rather than just know about it and know that it exists. Anecdotally, I have never seen um, narcissistic personality disorder successfully Treated, And the biggest reason is if you are superior to others, nothing is your fault. Why in the world would you ever hire a therapist and go in and say, here's why my marriage failed. This is what I do. I need help. Because you would never recognize it because you're perfect. Well, yeah, there is a failure to recognize it because, like I said, the hallmark of the disorder is lack of insight into the way that your behavior is harmful to others. So others um, complain about you or leave you because of their failings. Sure. And so you just replace them with another source of supply. and. Right you are able to devalue and discard the crazy person who didn't realize what she had in you and left you. Yeah. Okay. So really they can't change. And so if you're in a marriage in this situation, what are going to be some red flags that you might see that you, to know that this person is a narcissist? A lot of blame shifting people who don't meet criteria for narcissistic personality disorder can hear you have harmed me you have hurt me you have you have disappointed me you hurt my feelings 
And they can lean into that, even though it can be painful to hear with some curiosity. And many people have the ability to even thank you for letting them know that somehow they have caused harm. Mm -hmm. And so lack of accountability can, can show up in a couple of different ways. One of the ways is um, there are a little bit more victim-y kind of, they're also called covert narcissists that uh, immediately begin to cry and say, you're right, I'm such a bad person, I can't ever do anything right, and you never should have married me, and this is all because of my my very critical mother and my very physically abusive father, and you, you probably would be better off if I just walked out into the highway and ended it all. That is very manipulative behavior which is very classic narcissistic behavior, but it looks different than the rage that someone can be met with when they bring a grievance to a very toxic personality disordered person. Either way, whether it's rage and turning the tables on the other person or it's, um, uh, immediately falling into that victim role, it it is the same thing. Just it just shows up differently. It's a lack of accountability for one's own behavior, and no ability to say, "I'm glad you told me." Uh, how can we do this differently? What can I do to offer repair? I don't want to harm you. And you kind of mentioned this term a little bit and what you've said, but the it, it sounds like narcissism is a form of being a psychopath or a sociopath. It kind of is a, a kind of the same. Uh, I'm going to take an example from um, a, a therapist in Ireland who wrote the book. Uh, three faces of evil mm -hmm. and uh, also when shame begets shame and her name is uh, Christine Louis spelled Louis uh, de Cannonville and so when shame begets shame the subtitle is how the narcissist hurts and shames their victim. And then her, her other book, three faces of evil sort of describes using the analogy of, of those Russian nesting dolls mm -hmm. where you have the big one and then the little one. So like all of us are the big one. And, um, Everybody has the ability in a bad moment to behave badly uh, to another person. Sure. And most of us have the ability to recognize that we did it or to receive from the other person that we did it and say, oh, huh, yeah, okay, I guess I did do that. Right. Um, and 
I would argue that in a lot of us, there is just a tad bit of healthy narcissism, kind of a, ah, me first, you know, what about me kind of thing that's just necessary for our survival. That's our generation too, right? We're the main generation. (laughs) Um, Now you take that, that doll apart and what's under there is someone who meets criteria potentially or most of it, which can make them, you know, just as bad. Just because you have five out of the nine, you don't meet the criteria, but five out of nine versus six out of nine, kind of basically the same person, I always say. Yeah. So uh, I've described what a narcissist is. A sociopath is the the doll that is inside of the narcissist. So a narcissist uh, is not necessarily going to meet criteria for antisocial personality disorder, but every sociopath also meets the criteria for narcissism. Okay. So it's the two layered effect. Okay. Yeah. Um, A narcissist's biggest fear is just not being relevant, but they don't necessarily go out and purposefully cause harm to another human being and say in a Machiavellian manner, hey, it's not personal. You just got in my way. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I broke both your legs and took your car. Um, Now, inside of of someone who meets criteria for... uh, Antisocial personality disorder is the very smallest, smallest uh, doll, which is a psychopath, which actually is not a mental health term, but a forensic term. And um, so FBI profilers refer to this person as, as the dark triad, you know, completely lacking in empathy or antisocial. Um. Machiavellian, willing to do whatever it takes to meet their need, regardless of the expense caused to another person, and sadistic. So, actually, having no fear mediated learning, which is what the rest of us have. You know, we're not naughty because largely we're nice, but also we fear consequences. Right. So we do what we're supposed to do. And a psychopath, their brain is actually shaped differently. Um, a sociopath can be created. If, if you have a child that doesn't have love, doesn't have enough to eat, and um, gang membership at the age of seven offers up some sort of sense of belonging and safety. But the cost for that connection is that you have to learn how to kill people. Well, that is a response. Narcissism, I believe, is a response. Psychopathy is something that is a brain just wired differently. Psychopaths literally cannot experience the range of human emotion. They study it and they can copy it, 
and they can use it to their advantage, but they are not informed internally by emotion, except for boredom and rage, probably. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very. That's just fascinating to me. Do you kind of going back to what you were saying there a little bit with narcissists, do you think is learned behavior is what you're saying then? Uh, I, I, I see it as a response and I feel very sorry for them. Uh, although they do cause a lot of harm in my clients. So one way of responding in a family where you don't get your needs met or you are adultified by the parents who should be adults is, is a sense of over-responsibility and a high degree of accountability and empathy. And oddly enough, that is the kind of client that I get, who is very, very agreeable, very forgiving, very responsible, very accountable, successful. And that makes an excellent target for someone who wants to be none of those things. Yeah. And the other response growing up uh, is to have the attachment injury, I believe, of of narcissism, which is nobody cares about me. I'm not going to need anybody. I'm not going to care about anybody else. I'm going to take what I need and, and manipulate others to provide to me that which I deserve. Join us next week for the second half of our conversation with Michelle, where she dives deeper into the trauma caused by narcissistic abuse and the steps one can take towards healing. Join us every Thursday for more conversations on life, work, and love. And when you're ready to find your own voice and your own path towards a well-lived life, we'd love to be your coaches. Reach out to us through our websites. You'll find me, Remy, at renovatedrealities.com. And you'll find me, Bonnie, at bonnieblackstone.com. Thanks for joining us. If you have enjoyed today's episode, be sure to review, rate, and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts.